everybody and welcome to the Take a Deep Breath podcast. My name is Mike Mayer and today I am bringing you Mr. Anders Olsen. Um, if you've seen or read the book Breath by James Nestor, there was another guy that he did the nose blocking experiments and all this stuff with who also guides breathing at the end. That's this guy. That's Mr. Anders Olsen. Um, James refers to him as one of the most knowledgeable people when it comes to breath work. Um, and I love speaking to Anders. This is the second podcast. So in this podcast, be prepared to have your mind blown when it comes to all things CO2. I'm now referring to Anders as Mr. CO2. Um, we're talking about the diaphragm. We're talking about how to get a really good exhale. We go deep into Anders' experiments when he did block up his nose for 10 days. What actually happened to him? We've heard a lot about James and there's many articles and uh, interviews about what James did and how he felt and his metrics. But let's hear what happened to the other chap that went on this as well. Um, but also, what I just get fascinated now is, is carbon dioxide. So Anders is looking younger every year. Go back and look at my first podcast with him like three years ago. Look at him now. He's doing CO2 baths. Have you ever heard of a CO2 bath? In essence, it's like dipping your face in, in fizzy water with a straw. There's another way you can make it yourself with um, some basic household ingredients. But essentially, you're, you're putting your skin in CO2. Uh, Anders has CO2 suits that you, you kind of float in. He also has a device that you can up yourself. CO2 limits to raise your uh, tolerance to CO2. And he's republished a load of books as well about um, CO2 therapy in breast cancer, CO2 therapy for panic attacks, old books, like over 100 years ago books about how we were using CO2. We often think about the oxygen canister being brought into the hospital or, or by the fire brigade or the ambulance. Um, but it actually used to be a CO2, believe that or not, incredible. So we, we get into all of this today. This is this is one of my favorite podcasts. I filmed this a little while ago and I was just I just was so desperate to share it with you because um, this is wonderful. And I think if you're like me after this, you'll want to be doing some CO2 bathing as well. Um, so uh, without further ado, I'm going to get on with the podcast. But before I do, if you haven't done so, please, please subscribe to this podcast. Um, 50 plus percent of you are watching and not subscribing your little sneaks um so so please just pop that 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 subscribe button if you're on itunes and spotify and all those beautiful places um and you can leave me a review that would be so so helpful um our goal this year is to grow bigger than ever this is the year of the breath this is the year of breath work um things are already hotting up and it's only early early january 2024 as of recording this so it's a very exciting year that's coming um I am taking on clients. I'll talk about that later. If you're interested in working with me, you can do. But for now, let's just think about our friend Anders Olsen, um, conscious breathing, relaxators, all this good stuff. Uh, here is my friend, Mr. Anders Olsen. Cheers. So I'm wearing your relaxator. Can you just share with me a little bit of the history? How did you come up with this? And just explain to people what are the benefits of, of using this might be. So I came across a similar device. Actually, it was from Russia. And uh, I thought, what a ridiculous little piece of equipment. I don't need that. I know how to breathe. But after some time, I took, actually, it, I think it took six months before I even put it in my mouth. And when I did, I had to climb down from my high horses because I realized that when I was concentrating in front of my computer, I was holding my breath so much. And that... Uh, made the device starting to, to sound. So I become aware of my breathing, of my uh, poor breathing at the time. And then I, I ordered, I think, 
all the different devices out there on the market, 10 or 15 of them, and tried all of them and realized that I didn't like them so much. So then I decided to make my own. That's now 12 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I really I recommend this to all my clients mm. um, I just find it so simple I find it so effortless it's you know it's like the plastic's really nice um, so can you the thing that people often say is oh my god I thought we're meant to be nose breathing but you're asking me to breathe through my mouth now so can you just ex- demystify that a bit for people because I think it sometimes confuses them it does I mean that's the most common question we get you, you keep talking about nasal breathing and then you show us this and, and we're going to well, what you do is you inhale through the nose and out through the relaxator, but still. So I think we have to look at it as we are on training arena. When mm. you put the relaxator in your mouth, you, you train your breathing. And then as soon as you stop using the relaxator, you go back to nasal breathing. So with the relaxator, you set a resistance so that you prolong the exhale slightly. And uh, my explanation for it is that when we... Inhale, that is activation. Exhale, relaxation. So if we want to find relaxation, we can go to our exhale and prolong it slightly. And when you do, you will end up activating your diaphragm more, your most important breathing muscle, and you will increase the pressure slightly in your lungs. You will improve the muscle tonus in uh, your throat area, which for many people is... A problematic area which becomes specifically evident when they go to bed and they start snoring or get sleep apnea and this slight increased pressure when you prolong the exhale also makes the air circulate better in your nose and sinus cavities so the advantage that the relaxator bring the low slow rhythmic breathing that ensures a steady supply of oxygen to the brain in the other parts of your body is is uh, a lot more than the potential negative effect of exhaling through your mouth. Interesting. And so, so you you have um, found this to be useful for people with sleep apnea. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And, and and how long would they need to? I know everybody's different, but what would you recommend somebody with a sleep apnea do? How, how often should they use something like this, and for how long? Well, we recommend doing 10 to 15 minutes per day with the relaxator and um, depends on the person and the situation. But for most people, they can fit it into their daily life, whether they're sitting in the car or in front of the computer or when watching TV or uh, cooking or cleaning before getting up in the morning, before uh, falling asleep in the evening. Usually people can find quite easily, I would say, 10, 15 minutes. Yeah, and, and, and of course, with everything, you, you can't go to the gym once and, and say, no, there's nothing for me. I'm not stronger. I'm not fitter. We, we know, all of us, we have to repeat it over and over again. And it's the same with the relaxators. So you need to give it some time. So if you have uh, sleep apnea, for example, that won't go away j- just like that. I, I think you need to stick with it for a few months at least yeah 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 and, and how um how hard should we be blowing and I, I hear some people say the cheeks shouldn't be expanded other people say that you should keep the cheeks like still so how can you maybe demonstrate for a little a little bit how it should work 
Hope you're enjoying the conversation with Anders. Uh, as I alluded to in the intro, um, I am taking on clients for 2024. So you already are watching a breathwork podcast. You already know the power of breathing. But my question to you is, what are you doing this for? Is it to lower stress? Is it to lower anxiety? Is it to improve focus? Is it to work on back pain? Is it to feel calmer? Is it just to find a space of spirituality? So what is it that's attracted to you to the breath? And if we go a layer deeper, why? So if we wanted to reduce stress, why is it a problem? Because actually stress is really good. Is stress showing up in a bad way in your life? Um, are we struggling to find time for practice? What What is it that you really are looking for? Um, and I would love to have a conversation with you about this. I've worked with many, many clients now over the last few years uh, and we go deep. My program is bespoke for you. So I build it from the ground up. We'll go through assessments, application process, really understand you and what you need. This isn't about me. I'm finding out exactly where your breathing is right now and where you want to be and why. And then I build a program around you. Um, it's had an incredible uh, reception, incredible feedback, reviews. Um, I can share all of these with you. Um, and I'd just love to have conversations. So if you're serious, um, there is an investment involved. So I'm going to link everything down below. But if you're serious about taking your health to the next level this year, making 2024 different to 2023, not letting it stay the same, actually making that change now. You've been watching me for probably a while. Uh, you know who I am, what I'm doing. I'm interviewing all these people. I'm building my knowledge to help you feel better and improve your life. Um, and so if that sounds interesting to you, the link is, is down below. Back on with Mr. Anders Olsen. Cheers. Yeah. So, so the thing is, it's not to go about it as I did when I started out. I thought it was a competition. Okay, I'm going to have the world's best breathing in the shortest period of time. So the smaller the hole is open, the better my breathing is. But what I didn't realize was that I had this wrinkle between my eyes uh, probably blue in the face, really uh, pushing myself very hard. The key is relaxation. So that's what we want to achieve. So we're talking about a slight relaxation. Our lungs, they are delicate tissues. It's not like going to the gym and, and doing more push-ups or whatever. It's, it's about just finding the slight um, increase in the exhale. So I you recommend people to set it at level three, and then adjust a smaller or a bigger hole open depending on where you are. And, and your level of fitness, that could differ from day to day. Or mm -hmm. there is also a big difference whether you are sitting down or if you are uh, walking around. Mm -hmm. So try to hold it with your lips. That it tends to make us most relaxed. Mm -hmm. And then you just inhale through your nose. And some people, when they use it, they, for some reason, I don't know why, for example, my mom, when she puts it in the mouth, she starts to go like this. So that's not the way to do it. We should not change our breathing. The only thing we do is that we focus on prolonging the exhale slightly, and then we just mm. let the air in. Okay. Yeah. So it's much more gentle than I think a lot of people might think. Yes. Yeah. Of course, you can also use it, uh, push it, use it harder. I mean, the, yeah. the, sometimes I use it on uh, with a very small hole open just to, um, for example, do some diaphragm uh, exercise. Mm. Uh, and, and we have developed this, we call it the COXI test, carbon dioxide oxygen uh, balance test. Ooh. It's similar to the 
the ball score and the um, uh, Buteyko control powers. Mm -hmm. So what you do is then that you use the relaxator at the highest level, mm -hmm. number five. So a small hole open as possible. And then mm -hmm. you inhale through the nose while taking six steps. So you try to fill up your lungs as much as you can. Yep. And then on step number seven onwards, you exhale through the relaxator. And then you take as many steps as you can on the exhale. Mm. And the total number of steps, the six on the inhale and the, the rest of the steps, that's your uh, COXI score then. Okay. And, yeah. and the test is over when you run out of air? When you can't exhale longer, yeah? So you're not allowed to, to uh, inhale, of course, and you're not allowed to swallow. So when you can't exhale any longer, then uh, you stop. And you continue to have the relaxator in your mouth so that you don't go uh, like that. Sure. Because it's both an assessment of your lung function and it's also a, a great exercise to help you restore the balance between oxygen and carbon dioxide mm. by slowing down your breathing. I love it. What, what, what does good start at? So where, where, should, where should we aim for at the very beginning of good steps-wise? I think 50 is, is a good start, absolutely. Yeah, 50, yes. yeah. If, how if how high 50. have you seen it go with people? Uh, maybe above 100. Uh-huh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. I'll have a, but is, you, is, you have to practice a bit to, to sure. get there. But let me know yeah. uh, okay. when you try <laughs> I'll have a plan. Do you, do you have like a chart that rates like... Not at this point, no. Okay. We, we just ca came up with the... This not so long ago, okay. so we haven't collected that much data. Sure. Okay. Well, I'm happy to do it, and I'm happy to ask my clients to do it because all my clients get one of these, so I can get you some data from. I mean, you've probably got lots anyway, to be fair, but I'll, I'll ask around anyway. Um, okay, I'll have a plan. I'd love to have data. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So, anybody else watching this? By the way, um, we're going to put this down below in the link, so you can literally just click and get yours if you haven't got yours already, and then you can send us some data. Um, Okay, so do you um, ever recommend that you would inhale through it as well? Would we ever suck through it to increase the inspiratory muscles? You can do it, and there are uh, devices out there that do inspiratory muscle training, and there are mm -hmm. studies showing the benefits of it. Uh, I don't do it at all. I, I think our nose is far too superior when it comes to mm. inhalation, but... For some people, it may be beneficial. I, I, I if someone asks about it, I, I just say to them to yeah, give it a try. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, but, but you're, I, I you're, don't do it mm -hmm. myself. Uh, okay, but your whole thing is let's get the exhale really good. It's a really good exhale, really full exhale. I think a key is in the exhale. Yes. Yeah. And and well, full exhale that could be interpreted like take um, um, like you are emptying your lungs so that's not what we are saying either you just prolong the exhale slightly so that you get a little more of this relaxation and a little higher pressure in the lungs so that you open up the airways a little more open up the alveoli a little more okay uh, so yeah i love it cool thank you thank you for sharing. yeah i honestly I, I can't say enough good things about this i i have it with me all the time when i'm traveling 
all, all, all my clients get one. Um, cool. I'm really you say, uh, glad you say that. And I, I know that I'm biased, but I also actually love it. I, I yeah. really do. Still, after I, I've 10 tried years. loads. I've, I've bought different ones off of Amazon. They were like nasty plastics. They were hard, not as good to use. This one looks pretty. It feels good in the mouth on the plastic. So I, yeah, I, I'm not biased. I just think it's it's the best of all the things that I've done. And it's, it's very um, affordable for people because you can spend hundreds of dollars on these things. They've got Bluetooth. Yeah. Uh, and don't get me wrong, for some people, they really love that level of data. But I find for most of us, you, know, you can have this on your desk. You haven't got to charge it up. It just it just works. So um, yeah. so thank you for, for giving that to us. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. So I want to um, ask you, before we start talking about the world of CO2, which I cannot wait for, I realized I never asked you for your version of the story with James Nestor when you taped up your your nose so maybe could you just walk us through what that was like how did he convince you to do this because i'm sure you probably had some thoughts about this and then maybe talk us through what those 10 days looked like and what you and what your results were as well would you mind just giving us that story yeah absolutely well he didn't have to convince me actually as soon as he popped the question my immediate answer was no i don't want to participate in that awful study but i'm way too curious to to not do it so when do we start uh, uh, and um, yeah it w was a three-week study at Stanford and uh, the first 10 days we blocked our nose we have had all kinds of things we put in the nose to ensure that we could only do uh, mouth breathing mm -hmm. around the clock day and mm -hmm. night and 10 days it's quite a long time actually specifically when you start to feel your energy is going down, your stress is going up, your uh, anxiety is going up and, and your sleep is getting worse and worse and worse. Get to the point where I didn't even want to go to sleep. And there we were sitting, James and I, three hours per day. We were doing all these kinds of tests. And uh, um, yeah, at the end of the 10 days, both of us, we were really <laughs> not in the best mode. Uh, so we were we were very happy when we could remove it from our mm -hmm. nose and, uh, and so that we could start using our nose again. But we, we measured all these kinds of things from uh, different things in the blood, adrenaline and, and um, um, bl blood pressure. We measured nitric oxide in our airways. We did push-ups and, and measured our heart rate variability. We stood on one leg. We... It went out we went to the gym many times and uh, then we had a lot of uh, nasal examination um, brain scan and uh, smell tests and um, by far the the most negative effect was the sleep mm. that were that went from no snoring at all to three hours of snoring per night wow. and yeah that's a lot mm. and uh, I was twisting and turning. We, we filmed ourselves when we were uh, sleeping and we recorded our sound as well. So you could see how we were twisting and turning and, you know, the restless sleep we've all been through. And we had that every single night. And I woke up five, six times every night. And many times, uh, many of these times I had to go and pee a lot more than usually. Normally I don't wake up at all or maybe one time per night mm -hmm. and have to pee. But this time I had to pee three, four, five times, which can be explained from a carbon dioxide perspective. 
We also measured carbon dioxide in the outbreath, and, and the curve was it went down and down, and then when we reverted to mouth breathing, it started to go up again and, and uh, came back to the level before we started. So that was really a reflection as well of the, um, the state of our health. Yeah. And also an interesting thing, when we came there to Stanford and, and they did all these kinds of tests, lung function tests, etc., all we heard was, it's okay, it's fine, it's within the range, you're good, but look at us, we look like shit and we <laughs> feel like shit, but apparently we weren't sick enough to, to show up on their radar. So that's mm. also interesting, we should bear that in mind when we go to the hospital and they do all kinds of tests, that... It's not necessarily a, 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 a full picture of what's going on. Mm. Yeah. Mm. What did the brain scan show? Um, it showed that uh, there was a slight, or maybe that was more the, the actually, the brain scan I think didn't show much, and, but the nasal examination showed slightly more constricted airways but from that perspective i guess 10 days is not enough in order to see mm -hmm. real um, uh, changes yeah. but still there was some change but not not huge changes yeah did, did your blood work reveal anything after the 10 days was there any any changes in the blood i had uh, three times as much adrenaline and the, um, what you call it, the, the um, uh, dopamine was six times as high. Mm. Do you know why? Um, I can just describe how I felt. I felt that the adrenaline, I, I came from the place where I used to have this racing mind, have problems calming down. Yeah. So it was like I did a time journey traveling back in time to my previous stressful life i remember several times actually uh, cooking I, I had all the time in the world but still i was uh, chopping to cook uh, cucumber as my life depended on it i had to check one two three okay my fingers are still there <laughs> because uh, i was really stressed out and and that was really interesting it, which showed in my blood the adrenaline went up and I assume my body needed to compensate for the poor sleep. Mm. So more adrenaline came into the system and sugar cravings increased. Yeah. That was one, of, we, we measured a lot of things, just uh, uh, our own view from one to ten. How was my sleep? How is your energy? Etc. And also our sugar cravings. So they were, for me, I started actually four days prior to the study and they were at, uh, I had no sugar cravings and also a couple of days into the study, no sugar cravings. But the last uh, four days, it was seven, between seven and eight from a scale from one to ten. So I had beer and pizza and alcohol, uh, sorry, and, and uh, chocolate and ice cream all these days. And uh, that's normally not something that's in my diet. So... Mm. That was a profound, again, it was like going back in time to my previous life. So I, I can clearly see how that relates. And it, there are also studies confirming this. You have low energy, so then you, you are more stressed. 
And also when your airways are tighter, you have more stress. And then we have more cravings for quick energy, whether that is uh, an ice cream or, or alcohol. They are both quick energy. And I have done the journey where I have seen how that has decreased as I am mm. ha- have become more and more calmer. Yeah. So it, I think the dopamine has to do with that because I found that the last four days there when I had this high uh, cravings for, for sugar and, and fast energy, a lot of my thoughts were circulating around food. Oh, soon I'm going uh, to have that pizza. Don't take that pizza away from me. It's mine. <laughs> Don't you dare. Uh, I felt a big need to reward myself. Like uh, I hadn't achieved anything, but still I, I needed to reward myself. This is I, I'm worth this. It was very important. Uh, wow. Yeah. Uh, any changes to blood pressure? For me, it wasn't much. I know for James, it changed, yeah. Mm. Mm. But not for me that much, no. Mm. And um, did they measure cortisol levels in the blood? Uh, I'm not sure. Actually, I think we missed that one. That's unfortunate, yeah. Yeah. Because cortisol also is there. When you do mouth breathing, you have a tendency to get more inflamed airways. So then the cortisol comes in to reduce the inflammations. Mm. So... No, unfortunately, I think we missed that one. You have to go and do it again. <laughs> well, I, I, can I send you this time? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm but, good. Um. But w- one other thing was, which was really interesting, standing on one leg, I was surprised. We counted, we closed our eyes, st- stood on one leg for one minute on each foot. So uh, in total, um, 20 minutes during the 10 days, right? And then we counted how many times we needed to put down the foot. So mm-hmm. 20 days, with, sorry, 20 minutes with the, um, the nose blocked, so mouth breathing, I had to put down the foot 120 times. And then when we did the 20 minutes uh, with uh, conscious breathing, with low, slow, rhythmic, nasal breathing, I only had to put down the foot 20 times. Mm. So six-fold uh, difference. Why would that be? Why, why, would, why would mouth breathing affect your balance, do you think? Um, I think the tongue is, is like you, you, you go out in a ship and you cruise around mm. and then you have the, I don't know, the English word. The rudder, yeah. What it's called? The, uh, rudder, I think, the steering. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yes. Yeah. I think the tongue is, is uh, uh, affecting that. Mm. I think the tongue in the roof of the mouth is, is the key. Yeah. Probably other effects as well, how mouth breathing affects the nervous system and, and yeah. the balance. Um, mm. but, you know. what, what was the first nasal breath feel like? Was your nose, was it really hard or was it like, was the nose open straight away? How, how did that go? Oh my God, it was, it was fantastic. And then when we came out of the setting there in the hospital, because that was where we removed the, the stuff from the nose. Mm. I felt like I'm going to do everything I can in my life to never, ever uh, return to a hospital again. That was, Mm -hmm. I felt so motivated. I formed my health vision. I want to live long and uh, be healthy and, and die healthy, basically, and not being dependent on the pills and, and surgeries and, and, 
other things they give you at the hospitals. Mm. So that was a, a, a really good takeaway from the study to, to really realize I don't like any of this at all. Mm. This is a depressive environment. I have full respect absolutely for what they are doing. No doubt. That's not what I'm saying, right? I'm just saying it, for me, it installed a huge motivation to do my utmost to take care of my body and mind and emotions to um, not being dependent on what they have to yeah. offer. No, that's good. You, you said something a few minutes ago um, about going to pee uh, more and carbon dioxide. So why, why do you think you need to pee more when your mouth breathes? What's going on there? So carbon dioxide has this uh, effect on our smooth muscles. So we are basically like a, a bunch of tubes in our body. We have the airways, they are very long tubes, and we have the blood vessels, we have the intestines, the stomach, the um, uh, bladder for women, the uterus. They are all surrounded by smooth muscles. And when these smooth, uh, so we have three types of muscles. We have the heart muscle, we have the skeletal muscles, which are the ones we can control by will. And then we have these uh, smooth muscles surrounding these tubes. And they, when they live in an environment that is low in carbon dioxide, they have a tendency to constrict, mm. go into spasm. So when the bladder, it, it becomes smaller then, right? Mm. So it fills up faster. So then we need to go to pee after, more often. Mm, okay, so it's actually got less space to hold liquid. Yeah, that's that's probably one of the reasons. Yeah. There are, as always, there are many sure. reasons. Yeah, but but sure. it was quite evident there that I needed to go and pee a lot more. Yeah. Than yeah. Yeah. So, so I never thought about that actually. So when you're in a low CO two environment, even your guts, your intestines are tighter, in theory. Yeah. So it's affecting so, how you go to the toilet the other way. Yeah, so, so if you think about it, if you have asthma, it's the airways constricting, right? Then mm -hmm. you definitely, there are studies showing how you overbreathe, how you lower the levels of CO2. So it's called bronchospasms, right? Mm. If you have angina pectoris, it's the blood vessels that goes into spasms. Mm. If you have stomach cramp you could hear that in the name right it's it's the intestines going into spasm of course if you eat something that is not very good for your stomach that may also lead to to stomach cramp so mm. again it's not only low levels of co2 but it's a probably major contributor or if you have well we can't have but if a woman have pms issues uh, st studies shows that progesterone that a hormone increases in, in the, the second phase of the hormonal cycle. And when mm. you, when uh, in studies, when progesterone has been given to cats and, and to men, they have started to breathe more. So that makes sense because progesterone increases because the, uh, there is more activity in, in the, the, the female body. So then you need to breathe more in order to that your metabolic requirement will increase, and if the the egg is fertilized, the progesterone levels will stay high, uh, because again, then if the, the the fetus is growing, then the um, 
metabolism there there is a higher demand so it makes sense to to breathe more but mm. of course if we go into the second phase of the menstruation cycle with slightly elevated stress that will then take us to 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 new levels that uh, mean that the slightly um, elevated stress means that we are overbreathing as well right so right. so then that slight overbreathing will be amplified in in that second phase and then the c2 levels will go down more than necessary so that could be a major contributing factor to uh, pms uh, issues oh wow okay that's really interesting um hmm. It makes sense, right? Doesn't it? It makes sense. It does. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Again, there's lots so many factors, isn't there? That's affecting everything. Um, I'm really excited to talk CO2 with you, but I just wanted to ask you one last question um, about the body, really. Um, so I think some people sit in the camp that you know nasal breathing is the most important thing, mm-hmm. and then you've got other people saying, no, 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 it's ribs, diaphragm. You know, you've got to get that right. And, and I kind of think it's both, but I know that people lean more to... Where, where do you sit on that scale of, you know, which bit's more important? Should it be that focus on nasal breathing first or focus on getting your rib cage nice and strong and your uh, flexible and making your diaphragm nice and strong? What, where, where do you sit on that? Can I add a third one? Please. Well, no, but, but I think the rhythmic breathing is something that is completely forgotten you you talk about the coherent breathing right yes yeah i I talk about the prolonged exhale so Mm. if we go for a walk if we go for a jog even if we have sex if we do these things in an unrhythmic fashion it's not so nice Mm. you go for a walk and then you stop and then you start it's not very nice you you want to get into the rhythm in order to um Mm. Um, feel harmony feel that okay this is something nice I'm, I'm jogging here now rhythmically and and I think that is a key so many of us I would say we have a chaotic breathing um, it is mm. possible to do nasal breathing fast to, to breathe high up in our chest with the nose mm-hmm. and it's possible to breathe chaotically using our nose mm. Uh, and so in that sense, I agree with you, the nose and the diaphragm, they are equally important, but we should also add in that equation the rhythm in itself. Mm-hmm. So nasal breathing helps us to a better rhythm. Mm-hmm. The diaphragm helps us to a better rhythm. This uh, uh, chest breathing and mouth breathing tends to be more chaotic and unrhythmic. Yeah. Uh, but you can uh, breathe out through remote mouth and, and also have a rhythm. You can have a rhythm higher up in your chest, not using your diaphragm so much. So, mm-hmm. so I think those are the key three things in, in our teaching, the nose and the diaphragm yeah. and the, the rhythm. And then we add the, the low and slow or, or the mm-hmm. slow uh, breathing. But uh, um, yeah, the, the, the thing is when we, uh, what it seems like may, most people do is that they shift from either forget to breathe, they hold their breath yeah. when checking the mobile or watching the news or an action movie or whatever it is, concentrating at work. And the next second we move to a little faster breathing. So both of those, those will, will affect the deliver, delivery of oxygen to our brain. Mm. And 
that is a, a major reason why I like this so much. When I sit there in front of a computer and I uh, want to focus and concentrate and, and uh, be creative, what our brain needs and wants more than anything is oxygen. And that is a major reason, I think, why we need so many breaks, why we can't stay focused and concentrated is because we switch between either we breathe too fast and shallow or chaotically holding our breath. Mm -hmm. That will deprive the, or it will disturb the oxygen delivery to the brain. And the brain says, okay, we need to break this state. We, we need a coffee. We need to go to the toilet. We need to call our best friend. We need to tons of different things. So that is what I find when I use this, the relaxator, that it ensures this low, slow, rhythmic breathing, which in turn then ensures a steady supply of oxygen to the brain. And if we think about it, the brain wants to predict the future, wants to check what's going on, be on top of things, make sure we survive and we are staying safe. And the most important thing for the brain is oxygen. And if that is altered, if the, the brain can't trust me that I will deliver that oxygen in, in a good way, then it will start to get stressed. And, and that, I think, is when we have problems focusing and concentrating. Yeah. Okay. That's a lovely segue then into CO2 and oxygen now then. So I can't wait to talk to you about some of this. Have you seen people with these oxygen cans that they have now on Amazon? And they, yes, OxyBoost. Yeah. What, what do you think about all of this? I think that we are a little too obsessed about oxygen in, in our society, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, the whole conscious breathing concept is about increasing your oxygenation but via uh, increasing your tolerance uh, tolerance for carbon dioxide and mm. actually reducing the intake of oxygen mm. because we must ask ourselves the question why in the world do we store so little oxygen in our body that we can only go by for a few minutes without breathing mm. if we compare to all other things we have, we have huge reserves, fat, uh, water, carbohydrates, mm -hmm. but uh, oxygen that we are so extremely dependent on, mm. we can just uh, survive for a few minutes. Mm. In my view, the only possible explanation is because oxygen is toxic. Mm. If you take a bite in an apple and put it uh, down, it will turn brown within minutes, right? Mm -hmm. And the reason is because it's exposed to oxygen. Mm -hmm. That's why we protect food from oxygen. I was in, in China, just came home a couple of days ago. There they even put plastic around bananas. I thought maybe that was a bit overkill. Um, but that is what we're doing, right? We protect food from oxygen because yes. when it's exposed to oxygen, it starts to uh, react with the oxygen and exactly the same processes happen in our body and we call that uh, uh, free radicals that is short for uh, free oxygen radicals and mm -hmm. that uh, if we have too many of those i don't believe in bad or good i believe in balance so free radicals are good but too many are not so good and and that is uh, 
the free radicals basically is ammunition for the immune system to create inflammation. So we, if we have a problem, we have a, any, an infection, we have an injury, we have um, an intruder, the immune system attacks and, and usually an inflammation occurs. And free radicals are important in that process. Mm-hmm. But too many free radicals is not so good. So across the line, you would see when it comes to symptoms and diseases that uh, uh, increased levels of or, uh, inflammations or too high levels of inflammations are are there in, in every single case when we have health issues. Mm. And oxygen is the, the main creator of these free radicals. So, so uh, the term is oxidative stress when we have too much of it. So when we take in too much oxygen, it, it may feel good if you do the oxy boost, but that is the short term. We always need to evaluate what happens long term. But mm-hmm. if you drink a, a, a Red Bull or, or eat a chocolate bar, that's also good for a short term. And many say they take a cigarette. That's also, they like it short term. But we, we know with these kind of things that long term, it's necessarily, it may not be beneficial to us. Mm. So we're talking here maybe about over-breathing, breathing too shallow, breathing too fast, using the wrong hole, taking in too much oxygen, messing about with CO2 levels. Um, what? First of all, how do you measure respiratory rate with people? Do you just count it when people are there or do you have a device that you use? How do you measure it? And what is a good respiratory rate that you would recommend? I know it's different men, women, age, but... We'll yeah. Talk a bit about that, please. So, so yeah, I, I do it manually. These days, I don't see that many clients. I, I just don't have the time. <laughs> uh, but, um, um, but, but it's also about checking the, the do they move? Uh, mm. Looking at the face, you can uh, spot quite a bit in the face and understand mm-hmm. and these kind of things and how you're talking, the talking speed and, and the... Mm. <clears throat> clearing our throat and things like that. So I, I try to put the, the piece of puzzle together. Uh, so, so respiratory rate is, is one thing there. So in terms of the optimum, I, I think I've counted the number of breaths on hundreds, maybe maybe even thousands of people these days. But, but uh, um, what I find is that they usually take quite a lot of breaths usually 18 to 20 or or even more Mm. and i think we have an inflation going on there actually i think if we had studies 100 years ago we would have found that people were breathing less Mm. and my uh, belief is that it's the increased exposure to carbon dioxide that leads to that Uh, we we know from the, the global warming data that is out there, that the carbon dioxide levels in the atmosphere increase. At least we have uh, data from the last uh, 60 years, I think, from Hawaii, and the increase is about 40%. So from zero zero thirty-two to 0, 0, 0.42, mm. something like that which is not lots, a lot. So if we talk in PPM, parts per million, it's uh, 
uh, around 400 ppm in the atmosphere. But still the increase is there, whether it's low levels or not, the increase is around 40% in the last uh, 60 years. Mm-hmm. And since it is, it is carbon dioxide that drives breathing, it is not lack of oxygen that makes us take the next breath. Mm-hmm. It is the buildup of carbon dioxide in the body. So when we are exposed to more carbon dioxide um, in the atmosphere, but also because we are more people, if you look at the population, it's an exponential growth. Mm-hmm. So if you li- live in, in, uh, in cities, you are exposed to more people and we are all carbon dioxide factories. If you sit in a meeting room, there will be more carbon dioxide in that room. Mm-hmm. And in general, when we are indoors, and, and most of us, we spend 90% or even more of our life indoors, we will get exposed to higher levels of CO2. Typically, they are two to three times as high as the atmospheric um, air, which is around 400 ppm. Mm. And if you're in the bedroom, they could typically be um, 3,000 ppm at four or five in the morning if you sleep two people in a normal-sized bedroom and the doors and, and windows are closed. Yeah. And... If you're in a car, they could also be quite high. There was one study showing that one person, one hour in the car, I'm not sure exactly how they did with ventilation, I don't remember, but they showed that they were around 3,000 ppm as as well, about seven, eight times as much as normal. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to wearing a mask, the, the PPM levels could be five, 6,000 typically in a mask. Mm-hmm. It makes sense, right? When you wear a mask, you will exhale a lot of CO2 and some of that CO2 gets trapped in the mask and you mm-hmm. will then re-inhale it. So in all these situations where we have increased levels in the atmosphere, we spend more time indoors, our house becomes more insulated, we, we drive in the car, uh, we wear masks, so, and I'm talking about a perspective of tens, decades and, and, and centuries, we are sl- slowly, slowly increasing our exposure to CO2. So it's kind of like a divider. Either you learn to tolerate it, or if not, you will be ending up in a, a continuous stress loop where the exposure to more CO2 that you can't tolerate will start to drive faster breathing and, and you will reinforce that stress. So, I, I, yeah, sorry. Yeah. No, please. no, please go ahead. I, I just had a, a, like, I think it just made sense to me. So please tell me if I've got this right or I've got this wrong. So when the CO2 is higher in the room, mm-hmm. it forces us to breathe a bit quicker. Yeah. We end up over breathing. Even though the CO2 in the room is higher, my CO2 in my body has now dropped because I've been over-breathing. Because I've been thinking, why, if it's high CO2 in the room, surely I've got high CO2. But no, actually, now I've got constriction of all of my smooth muscles yeah. because the CO2... Is that right? Have I got yeah, that right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, really exactly, yeah. So, mm. so, yeah. So, but if you learn to tolerate it, on the other hand, if you become mm. aware, okay, I'm exposed to more CO2, I need to... Uh, breathe consciously to to maintain this low slow breathing then when i learn to tolerate the higher levels of co2 that means that my airways will be more open my blood vessels will be more open so i will 
reduce friction in my body. Mm. My body will start to function better. I will spend less time in survival and I will then increase my consciousness. So that's the reason why the name Conscious Breathing. Become uh. aware and conscious of your daily breathing habits. Be able to maintain the low, slow, rhythmic breathing uh, more often. It will help you to increase your consciousness. Gotcha. Thank you. By the way, you've just really helped my brain understand that at a level that I just couldn't get before. So let's now talk about the other side of this, because you've got a mask there. And this yeah. is what's going to blow people's minds a little bit. So we've got what I would describe as like low level radiation of CO2 levels everywhere that's causing yeah. problems. But then there's the other side, which is an acute blast of CO2. So talk to us a bit about what's going on with the masks, with the bottles you've got, and why that's different from having a higher level of CO2 in the bedroom. Right. So, so it, it's important. Uh, this is a bit of a education here, I think, because the question I often get is, but wait a minute, you, you said that carbon dioxide was bad in my bedroom, and now you're saying I should go ahead using this uh, carbohaler and inhale extra CO2. I just don't get it. So we have to understand that it's about the dosage. If I'm going to the gym and I'm not very fit and I try to do 100, 100 push-ups, it's not very smart. I need to take things step by step. If I give my car more fuel, it doesn't go better. It needs the right amount of fuel. So uh, it's about balance. So when I try to increase my tolerance for CO2, I need to take it in steps. So, for example, if I'm going from uh, being a, a, a normal breather and, and then start to wear a mask, maybe that step is too fast then. I'm, I'm trying, I'm going from, from one to, to eight. So the better way to learn a new habit to, to increase your tolerance or whatever it, it is we want to achieve is to take it in small steps. So mm -hmm. that is important to understand. So that is when it becomes bad if I have 4,000 ppm in my car and I can't tolerate it or in my bedroom in the early morning hours then I may lay, lay there and hyperventilate and actually when you look at uh, the data when do we die we die usually most of us die in the morning hours it could coincide with these higher levels of CO2 that we cannot tolerate because they are too high for us and then we end up overbreathing, and then the body will react to us being in a constant state of fight flight. Mm. So, using this, the, the carbohaler, then it's a, a device you hook up to a soda stream cylinder or a, a CO2 gas tank, and you maybe expose yourself for three, four, five minutes to higher levels of CO2, which could then be. Uh, 2,000 ppm to, uh, with this you can deliver up to 8,000 ppm. I normally go for 4,000 ppm, which is 4% uh, CO2, so 100 times more than the atmospheric air. And what we notice is really, really cool. Uh, we, we see that the airways open up, so people who have blocked nose, uh, narrow nasal passages, problems with their airways or lung function they start to notice that they they feel uh, freer it's easier to 
take a breath. Mm. That's one aspect. Another aspect is that uh, we feel stronger. I think more than 50% that I've asked to do push-ups after uh, trying the carbohydrate, and I've only asked the people who know how many push-ups they can do, which is not uh, the average, but we, we, we asked about 20 people, and more than half of them can do more. So my own journey, I could do 49. In the study we discussed earlier with, uh, in Stanford with James Nestor, one of the things we did there was doing push-ups and then we checked our heart rate variability. There was a really big difference on the heart rate variability with mouth breathing where it was much lower compared to nasal breathing. But I'm quite competitive so I had decided in that study since we're going to do push-ups every day, I want to do 50 push-ups. That's my ultimate goal with this three-week study. I don't care about anything else, but I want to do 50 push-ups. Maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but I only reached 49. I was so pissed off. <laughs> uh, so, so I actually started several weeks before the study to, to get to that point, to the 50. But I could only do 49. So we, if we put that in perspective, and now since I started using the carbohydrate, I can do 75. Wow. And I'm five years older. My, my partner, she can. She went from. She started at 25. She can do 55 now. So she's crushing it even more. Mm. Um, so this is really interesting. And the explanation for that, that I uh, um, have um, discussed with quite a few people now, and we we tend to agree on it, is that. Because our nose is connected to our brain, our amygdala, which is our fear center, and our hippocampus. So studies have shown, for example, when you're exposed to different pictures and then they measure the activity in the amygdala and the hippocampus, they see that there is a huge stimulation in these areas when you're exposed to the picture, when you inhale at the same time. Mm. So the air we inhale will reach the brain and when you inhale extra CO2 you will expose the brain to to more of that and there are quite a few of these different modalities where you hyperventilate in order to get in touch with your traumas so when you hyperventilate of course you lower the levels of CO2 so the amygdala is sensitive to uh, changes in carbon dioxide levels so what we do with the carbohydrate, we expose the amygdala to more CO2 and without the negative effects of hyperventilation. Mm. So what we see is that the uh, amygdala starts to... Basically, we all go around with these survival programs. Many of them installed in our childhood. We try to understand the world and our nervous system is there to keep us alive and keep us safe. And we then tend to install too many programs that are red-coded and that tells us we have to be afraid of that, worried of that. And they are actually not in line with the reality. It's our uh, limited uh, ability as children to, to make a good understanding of what's going on. So we end up, as adults, repeating those uh, programs. We're just like a computer. Someone push a button and that program is played out. So if we look at our red-coded survival box, we find that we have 
way too many of these survival programs. And when you expose the amygdala to some extra CO2, we're able to go and look in that box and realize which those programs are. Oh, I don't need to be afraid of this and this and that. So then we recode them, put them green coded and put them in the safe and secure box. Mm. So what that means then is that, I mean, most people don't care how many push-ups they can do. That's not the point. But the point is, since our nervous system only allowed me to do 49 push-ups before. It's not that I'm going to the gym more. It's not that I'm exercising more. But probably it is that my nervous system thinks that I have more resources. Yeah, okay, let him do 75. That's fine. He can do that. He has the resources for that. Because holding on to all these fears and, and unhealed uh, traumas, uh, worry, etc., stress that costs a lot of energy. So when we can reduce that, when, when we can let go of these fears, we basically have more resources available. And studies uh, confirm this. One study they did where they had the participants going to uh, see a video uh, and one group, uh, they were seeing a film at the cinema. One group, they were allowed to express all their emotions. And the other group, was not and then they did this normal hand strengthener afterwards and the ones who could not express their emotions they was a lot weaker mm. and and yeah that makes sense it costs a lot of energy to hold on to these survival programs always checking out for the dangers right yeah. so when you can reduce those again as I said earlier, we don't need to spend as much time in survival. We have more resources to evolve, increase our consciousness or doing push-ups if, if, if that is what we want. That's fascinating. Just a quick side question on this. Yeah. Um, so I, I, you know, I've done ox, Bitaco, all these different things. And, um, you know, I help clients get their uh, control paws up steps up we do a steps test and all yeah, these different yeah. things yeah. Uh, and chemo receptors make people more tolerant to co2 yeah slow light gentle breathing however recently what i've seen a number of times is people that do hyperventilation breath work not mm. even with breath holds so conscious connected breathing whether you know doing this conscious breath um maybe not every day but very regularly Mm -hmm. um, some of these people not uh, doing much exercise either. And yet, when I did the tests with them on steps, how many steps they could do breath hold, they had really good CO2 tolerance. So do you have any idea why that might be the case when they're doing hyperventilation work? Well, I mean, if, if um, I do something that stress my body, I challenge my body, right? And I, uh, I force my body to adapt. Mm. Probably that could be something that is going on. Mm. Similar to, to, I mean, I go to the gym and I, I stress my muscles or I go out for a, a jog and that will make me stronger and, and, and fitter. Yeah. Um, I, I've done a lot of, of hyperventilation during the years, but not so much these days, but more to get the experience, to, to notice mm. how it feels. And, and uh, I... I have always ended up feeling that, no, I don't think this is uh, how it's supposed to be. I think there are better ways to um, 
to evolve there. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I, do, I do very little these days. I, I asked um, James Nestor this same question yesterday, and his, he, he had a theory, which was these people, they, they get rid of all of their stress in like 30 minutes, and then for the rest of the day, they're so chilled and so relaxed that they're breathing so light and so slow that their respiratory rate's a lot low. I don't know. It was just a theory, but yes, yeah. I don't know if, if there's any science. I need to keep finding out. But it was, I mean, and, I, and I don't think it's a, a hard rule, but I've definitely seen like Wim Hoffers and all these different people that have really good bolt scores, control pauses, and it's always been a bit of a head scratcher. Mm. Yeah, mm. interesting. Probably mm. that, that could be a case then. But we should also bear in mind, when we do the hyperventilation exercises, we lower the CO2, right? And studies have shown that when we lower CO2, we increase adrenaline. Right. So it could be that we reach those states almost like with with clenched fist mm. i'm i'm calm but i reach it via via fight and flight worry and hurry i think it's more exciting to investigate and play with how can i feel strong coming via parasympathetic yeah by more, more like the calm breathing like more the, the meditation route but yeah again we are different right and and we should explore different things and different things uh, fits different people yeah no for sure can you can you talk a little bit about um the use of co2 many decades ago because i heard that you know uh, firefighters would use it so can you talk about like how we used to use co2 as first responders and a bit of the history of what it was used therapeutically for yeah so i've actually republished a book on amazon um it's called Two Cases of Ulcerated Breast Cancer Treated with Carbon Dioxide, published by a UK doctor in 1794. Wow. <laughs> That's a long time ago. And then there, there is another book that uh, we've republished. It's called Carbon Dioxide in Medicine. It was published in 1905. In the book, they have pictures of people taking... A full body bath in carbonated waters and actually having a cover over the bathtub so that the, the CO2 shouldn't ex- escape. Mm-hmm. They did uh, 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 also dry CO2 baths. They did uh, rectal uh, CO2 insufflation. They did vaginal CO2 insufflation. And I think in the book that the doctor mentions that uh, 95% success rate with dysentery, that is uh, diarrhea, right? Uh, nowadays in the Western countries, it's not much of a problem, but still millions of people die every year in the, um, underdeveloped countries. And, and 100 years ago, it was probably a, a problem also in the West. Mm-hmm. And they, they, they noticed that uh, women uh, during childbirth Again, if we come back to the smooth muscles, the, the woman uh, having problems to um, deliver the child, these, uh, there is a cramp going on. So when they deliver CO2, the cramp goes away and the mm-hmm. child could be delivered. At that time, it was uh, many uh, women who died at childbirth, right? So, mm-hmm. so uh, the history, I mean, if we look at the, the big history of carbon dioxide one of the main thing is the 
the uh, hot springs mm-hmm. where people go for, for uh, healing since uh, centuries, thousands of years maybe, and they've noticed that it has a positive effect on the skin, on the circulation, on the heart, on the stress. And what they have found is that more than anything, the most active ingredient is carbon dioxide. They, these hot springs have high levels of CO2. Wow. And when you mentioned uh, they, they had equipped um, um, firefighters had uh, equipment to inhale extra carbon dioxide, just like the carbohydrate device we talked about uh, a few minutes ago. And what they saw, if you get you're in a, a fire and you're exposed to all this smoke and this, this comes down in your lungs and it replaces the oxygen so you you suffocate. So what they saw, the reason why they equipped, that was in US and, and the, the man behind it was uh, Professor Yandel Henderson who saw that inhaling extra CO2, he started off doing studies on pneumonia and noticed that when they inhaled uh, extra carbon dioxide, the airways opened up. So it was a lot easier to to heal and treat pneumonia. And again, at that time, it was a lethal disease for sure. So they then also equipped the firefighters with the um, this equipment to inhale extra CO2 because they noticed how uh, it helped get rid of the carbon monoxide faster. The, wow. the the uh, gas you get poisoned with Mm -hmm. and they have shown in studies what actually happens it's called isocapnic isocapnic hyperpnea which is basically controlled hyperventilation so it's used in in great uh, success when you are exposed to too much uh, smoke it's also used if you drink too much alcohol and it's also used if you have had a surgery and being anesthetized and when you wake up you want to get rid of the the uh, anesthesia gas uh, sooner than later so basically what they do uh, with this te- technology then is that they recruit the lungs to filter the blood to clean the blood so in a, if we drink too much alcohol for example it's the liver's task to, to uh, break down the alcohol. And if the liver can't cope with, if we drink too much, it calls in the lungs. And uh, I think that's a major reason why we wake up with a hangover. Because the, the, when we drink too much, the, 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 what happens is that we start to breathe faster. Mm. We recruit the lungs. So when we wake up the next day, we have a headache, we are tired, we... Um, uh, we may have um, an, a anxiety. I think it has to do with low CO2 because the lungs has been recruited to clean and filter the blood. So anyway, studies show that we um, get sober three times as fast, I think, when we do the control hyperventilation, where we inhale extra CO2. So normal hyperventilation then we have the side effects which we can spot in the hangover but also we know that adrenaline increases the airways and blood vessels constrict so we get less blood to the brain so we get more anxious mm. uh, we we constrict the body we induce friction so 
with the controlled hyperventilation, you uh, then don't get the negative effects of, of low CO2. So um, you sober up faster, yes. You clean your blood from the, the toxic uh, carbon monoxide when you're poisoned uh, by, by smoke and also when you're anesthetized and want to get it out of your system you can get that out faster so that's really interesting uh, studies showing how beneficial um, the lungs can be actually in cleaning the blood at the yeah. end of the day that, that's the main point here i think we mm. may not realize that that it probably since all the blood passed through the lung the the lungs probably have a very important function of keeping the the blood clean. Yeah. Wow. That's really interesting. Yeah, because I know that when the police pull you over, if you've been you've been to a party, they make you, you know, blow yes. into a machine to test your alcohol level. So I never thought about it. Yeah. No. So that makes already there. We know that we yeah. exhale alcohol, right? Yeah. And if yeah, we yeah. if we start to exhale more, well, obviously we will exhale more alcohol. So. Yeah. Fantastic. Wow. Um, just, just on the CO2 bath, I want to um, yeah. obviously I'll be respectful of your time. So just last couple of quick questions. Um, if somebody wants to make a CO2 bath at home, what would they, what would the ingredients be? And what, what, what would be the reason to put your foot in a CO2 bath or your hand? What, what, what sort of reasons do people use CO2 baths? All kinds of reasons, because the, as soon as you, uh, you will absorb carbon dioxide through your skin, which the body then will perceive as when there is excess CO2, the body will perceive it as lack of oxygen. So body will direct blood to that area, which mm -hmm. contains then it will bring nutrients and oxygen. So that area will be more alive. So if you have problems with circulation to your hands or your feet or your whole body, then you can do you can do a foot bath, you can do a hand bath, you can do a full body bath in a bathtub. And what we use when we create those is simply uh, sodium bicarbonate, or it's also called, I think, in U.S. baking soda. So, so that's uh, the part we all we actually have a lot of bicarbonate in our body. Mm. The majority of the carbon dioxide that is produced in our body is converted to bicarbonate and travel around in our body, and then when it reaches the lung, it's converted back to carbon dioxide, and we exhale it. Wow. So anyway, you, you put in uh, uh, sodium bicarbonate or baking soda and then you also need an acid, whether it's you can use citric acid or ascorbic acid. So we typically use uh, ascorbic acid and, and sodium bicarbonate. So if I want to do a foot bath, I may have uh, five, six liters of, um, of water and then I have a, a tablespoon of uh, bicarbonate and then I pour in the um, ascorbic acid little by little because uh, if I pour in everything at once all the bubbles will be formed and go out uh, in the atmosphere and, and uh, the effect won't, won't last that long so you should uh, uh, make sure that you have bubbles on your feet that then you have the, the right levels cool and we, there are many studies actually showing how extremely beneficial it could be. We got a testimonial from a doctor in Germany earlier this year who attended our uh, class and, and he instructed his client that had had severe hand issues, the skin on, on the hand, it was white, it was like crocodile uh, skin almost, uh, 
able to peel off uh, parts here and there and uh, they just looked awful. And two weeks later, it was like baby hands. It was crazy to see. And they said, the doctor, I'm speechless. This, I haven't seen anything like it. We, we may think that it has to be a lot harder than that. And you can also do a face bath. So I, I put my face in carbonated water. I do that. I then use a soda stream, but you can do the sodium bicarbonate um, baking soda and, and ascorbic acid mm. as well. But I use a soda stream, so I, I fill up two bottles with um, uh, carbonated water. Yeah. I pour it in a bowl, and then I, I put a straw, actually, in my <laughs> mouth and, and put down my uh, face. And I stay there for uh, around six minutes. That's usually oh, wow. how long the, the CO2 lasts. You, your but you your don't skin need looks score. great, by the way. Your skin looks really good. I was going to comment on that. Oh, thank you. Thank yeah. you. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. Wow. You know, actually, I don't know if I should mention it because I don't believe in it, but it's not a bad thing. But someone, actually two people in, in the last couple of months have said, you know, I've seen videos of you uh, and photos 10 years old. And I must ask you, are you doing something? Because you look younger now. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't hurt to, to hear that, it's of nice course. It's nice to hear that. But no, but I, because we, we did our last interview, I think three years ago when you were on this channel, and, yeah. and I was thinking, your skin looks fantastic. And maybe it's like, I thought maybe he's got a new camera, uh, new lighting, but it looks very, very smooth. Yes, yeah, so I'm going to try that. And can I just use a bottle of fizzy water? Can I just get like uh, yeah, you can do carbonated that. water? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. I love that. Um, what about muscles? I've got like really tight muscles. Would CO2 therapy help with, with that sort of thing, do you know? I think so, yeah. yeah. I, my, my weak spot is my calf. So, so when I go out for a jog, sometimes they don't like that and, and mm. they give me um, aches and pain. Mm -hmm. And one thing I realized when I grew, grew up, I, I had this uh, lot of stress and I had allergies. And, and uh, one other thing I, I also had was cramp during the nights. And my son had the same when he grew up. And when he started taping his mouth, it disappeared completely. So I'm mainly talking about the smooth muscles and the effect that CO2 has on those. Mm. But I think potentially it may also has, have an effect on the, um, the, the skeletal muscles. So, yeah, interesting. Uh, yeah, we have seen the, the relaxation, the ability to relax your mm. body when you expose it to CO2. So we haven't talked about it much, but we have developed this other product called the, the Body Stream, right? Where, where you put on like a, a, an astronaut suit almost and... and <laughs> And then you fill it up with carbon dioxide and then you absorb it yeah. through the skin. And yeah, that is what people say as well, that they notice that they um, uh, feel an effect on the skin, that it gets smoother, softer. And uh... Have you ever combined the two together where they put the suit on and then they use the inhaler or is that too much? No, of course I haven't. But uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know if uh, if there is a um, benefit of doing that. Uh, mm -hmm. I, when in the suit, I, I, I tend to rather than use the relaxator or 
I just put on an eye mask and some nice music and just relax and, mm, and mm. not try to overdo it. Yeah. Stacking, I, I guess, is a popular concept yeah. these days, but also I think it's nice to unplug. We can't be too effective all the time either. Sure. So. Yeah. Fantastic. Oh, I've got I've got one last question for you. Um, it's okay. a bit it's a bit cheesy. Um, so you get you get stuck on the desert island and you're there for one year, and you can only bring one device or one breathing technique with you. What what are you going to bring from your collection to spend on this island for a year? You said breathing technique, so it doesn't have to be a device, right? It doesn't have to. It could be a breathing exercise. Yeah. So, so despite all the devices, uh, I love <laughs> to play with those. I would just bring the. Uh, nasal breathing and, and physical activity okay that, that is by far my uh, best uh, tool tips yeah. yeah love it um so i'm going to link people your website down below so they can pick up these devices and learn more um do you have any final words for us anders anything to close us off with i'd like to share our uh, tagline change your breath change your life change the world love it so that is the major reason why I'm, I'm so passionate about this, because if you can find the peace a little more often on the inside, that will uh, be reflected in, in the way you talk, in, in how you act. And I think both conflicts and, and harmony and peace starts on the inside. If you're a person that doesn't feel well, you may end up starting a war. If you're a person that having a lot of um, harmony inside, you may affect many other people that's beautiful thank you for that i love i love that thank you um thank you so much for coming back and, thank you uh, mike pleasure always love talking to you and uh, everybody click on the link below follow anders get all of his wonderful products and uh maybe we do a part three in another couple of years thank you so much cheers everybody cheers anders bye cool hey i hope you enjoyed that conversation with mr anders olsen um i don't know about you but i'm going to go and have a co2 bath now i think the skin's going a little old needs a little little rejuvenation um as i already mentioned i have a number of slots available for 2024 breath coaching so the link is down below uh, i would love to meet some of you on zoom it's a not obligation quote um it's to discuss if the coaching is right for you where are you right now where are you trying to get to? Can I be of assistance getting you there? Let's make 2024 the year where we use breath to move ourselves forward. I still have some spaces available and I would love to meet you and have that conversation. So consider that. Um, if you're not quite in that position right now, there's a link below for a seven essential free breathing exercises. My favorite breathing exercises you can go and play with straight away. Now, as always in this podcast, uh, I put a breathing exercise at the end. So here is one of my favorite breathing exercises. Of course, we're going to be doing some more beautiful coherence breathing. So let's do that now together. So get yourself nice and comfortable and uh, we'll do 20, 10 minutes of, of beautiful coherence breathing. Thank you so much for being part of the podcast. And if you haven't done so, please, please subscribe to the channel. Thank you so much. Cheers. Slowly, gently in through the nose. And slowly, gently letting go. Softly in through the nose. And softly out. Smoothly in through your nose. And gently out through your nose. Softly in 
slowly, gently in through the nose and slowly, gently letting go.
that's it, you're done. You're exactly where you need to be. So just be really kind with yourself now. Take a few moments to wiggle those fingers and toes as you bring yourself back into the day-to-day. If you've enjoyed this exercise, why not subscribe or share with a friend or a loved one? And if you're interested in taking your breath work to the next level, you can contact Mike Mayer directly and inquire about his one-on-one coaching packages. We'll see you soon. Breathe well, my friend.